If you're saved, then you know it. Do something. That's one of the kids' songs. Maybe some of you remember stomping your feet and clapping your hands and shouting amen. Maybe you do. But the part I think we're going to focus on today is your life will surely show it. You see, James is both passionate and practical about the life that his half-brother offers to all. James is one of these guys that basically said that if you have real faith, your life is going to look different. You'll have boots on the ground. You'll be able to live life all the way that God intended for you to live. James grew up with Jesus, but only came to faith after the resurrection. The resurrection. Imagine, that was the one thing that seemed to tip the scales. Resurrection was a big deal. There there was a dead Jesus just days before. James had to grieve like any close brother would. But to see his brother alive and to recognize all the things that really happened were for his benefit. And that somehow Jesus, well, became his savior. He saw the Messiah before him. Resurrection is a big deal. In fact, it's still a big deal. We're just about coming up to what we would call Holy Week, where there's going to be Good Friday and an Easter celebration. Here at Cross Point, it's going to be called Garden to Garden. And we're going to have an opportunity to be able to focus, well, on the death and the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior. We're praying even right now that this might be a significant time in maybe somebody's life. They might be just like James. Maybe have heard all about Jesus all their life, or maybe even gone to church. But realistically, maybe the resurrection will be the thing that all of a sudden, whoa, changes it all. Well, once James came to faith, he quickly became part of the early church leadership team. He became part of the pillars of the church. And James wrote this letter rather early to Jewish believers and sisters who were hurting. James knew the struggle, but he also knew listening to Jesus would be the answer. Listening to James, and we're going to be chatting a little bit about this today, but But listening to James really was, well, obeying and hearing together. James did have it good. He grew up in a household where he understood the Older Testament. And he had Mary and Joseph as parents. And they were godly parents. They wanted, well, all their kids to know God very, very well. But they also had Jesus. And he had Jesus every single day, listening to Jesus. 
His big brother brought the good news. In fact, his big brother was the good news. The Messiah, the king, had arrived. As I said, James probably had some advantages. But literally, he was on the same journey as we all are on. Learning from Jesus so we can live like Jesus. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you've recognized that James, well, hasn't pulled any punches. He cuts right to the chase, shall we say. He mentions that a relationship with Jesus Christ changes everything. For believers, they can have joy in the midst of trials and tribulations. For believers, they've been graced or set up well in order to make a kingdom impact. For believers, we act differently. We spend our money differently. We spend our time differently. We invest in the kingdom differently. And lastly, we found that our tongue also changes as we spend time with Jesus. We can either bring life to others or death. That realistically, our tongue can draw others to the Lord or repel them. Today, James is crystal clear. Genuine faith produces God fruit. Our actions and our words actually show we are part of God's family. As the kids sang, if we're saved... If we're redeemed, if we have been rescued, our lives will surely show it. If we live like everyone else, we just might not be part of God's family. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today recognizing again your authority in all of our lives. I want to just say thank you for the time of worship we've already had. For the time we have had to come before you and adore you. Lord, the truth is, though, is that we get distracted so easily. We want to be able to see you clearly. We want to be able to sing and pray and thank you for all who you are. Father, I pray today that you would help us be less distracted. We want to see Jesus. We want to see him clearer. We want to know, Father, that you are here, that you are working, that your presence is available. I pray especially, Father, for all of those who are ailing, all those who are hurting, all those who are suffering physically. We pray, Father, that that your presence would be enough for them. We ask for healing, but more than that, we ask, dear God, that, that you would surround them and encourage them and walk with them through this trial. We pray, Father, for those who are doubting right now, those who are perhaps discouraged, despairing, Father, maybe depressed. 
We know, God, that life is hard and circumstances sometimes strangle us. And we would ask even today, God, that you would meet us where we're at right now. Lord, we do love you. But I do know, Lord, that we can love you more. We want to spend time with you, but, but Father, there are things that honestly just distract us. And we would like to confess that. We pray, Father, that you would draw yourself even now to, well, the rebellious. Maybe some folks in our neighborhood, maybe some folks across the cubicle, folks, Lord, that that are unredeemed, folks that don't know you. Would you even use our lives to be able to draw people to yourself, especially in this upcoming Easter season. We know, God, that that perhaps people might be more open to chat, more open to talk, and we pray, dear Father, that we would represent you well. I pray, Father, that we would receive the word with great joy, with great conviction, and that the word would never be taken casually. We pray, Father, even right now as we teach from James that your spirit would be so abundantly active. But Lord, we know we just saw some kids singing. We pray for all those downstairs. We ask you, dear Father, that you would give our teachers just the ability to be able to share truth and encourage our kids whatever level they're at. Father, your word is going to go out all this week. It's going to go out tonight. It's going to go out tomorrow night. It's going to go out Tuesday night. It's going to go out Wednesday night. It's going to go out Thursday night. Those are the things we know about. We pray, dear God, that we would receive it and that you would be glorified in all that happens. I pray, Lord, that even as a church, we would look at sin differently and that we would be repelled more and more by it and understand how ugly and what ramifications follow. Pray that we would confess our sin often and quickly. And lastly, Father, we pray for all of the different, well, congregations, families, all over this city, all over the state and the country and our world, those who are meeting and worshiping and learning and serving. We pray, God, you would be honored with all of this. We pray this in your son's amazing name. Amen. Amen. You know, the Apostle Paul starts off and shares with us that anybody who comes to faith is a brand new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes this, anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who have come to faith, anyone who recognizes that they have been separated from God because of their rebelliousness or because of their sin, anyone, anyone who comes to a place in their relationship with God, say, I need you. I want you as my Savior. And the Scriptures tell us when that happens, something supernatural happens. 
and you become a brand new person, a brand new creation. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. We have been rescued, not only from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin and eventually the presence of sin. Mankind, mankind's relationship has been restored for anyone that comes to faith. And our standing is new and it's clean and it's secure. James knew of the transformation and saw that faith in his brother changed everything. That's why I think James was a little bit passionate. Some of the conversations I've had with you as we've been talking about James, basically, like, whoa, he he seems a little angry, or, or he's so harsh, or he's... And these verbs come out. But I think, really, what's happened is James is so... Well, James understood what the abundant life was. James recognized what life that Jesus brings. And he just was passionate and wanted to make sure nobody missed it. That nobody missed out. So he is not less passionate in our text today. May God open our eyes and and recognize all, and may we recognize all that God has for us. We're going to start, there's two main passages today, although we're going to drift into a third. The first one we're going to look at is James chapter 1, starting at verse 19, going through verse 25. You can follow along in your Bibles or flat screens or up on the screen. I've asked my wife Sharon to read this text for us, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, Then God will bless you for doing it. James starts off like this. Understand this. This isn't exactly language we probably would use. But realistically, all he's saying is this. Hey, you guys have already heard this stuff. I've already preached this to you. I've already told you about the information that I'm going to, to share. But I want you to really understand this. All right? He goes, first of all, be quick to listen. Now, I'll bet many of you have read this scripture before. You might have even used it against your spouse or your children. Say, hey, 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 quit talking so much. You know what? Why don't you listen more? 
James is not really talking about interpersonal relationships right here, just so you know. James is talking about God's word. His amazing, transforming, powerful word. He's saying, be quick to listen to God's word. Don't take God's word casually. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and verse 32, the apostle John writes this, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will give you freedom or set you free. What James is reminding them is this. The word of God is unbelievable. Immerse yourself in it. Surround yourself with it. Respond to it quickly. You don't understand how important this is for you to experience abundant living. The word of God has got to be part of your life. Then he says this. Be slow to speak. And let me add, about God's word. Let the word do its work in you. Now some of you guys are cooks, and some of you gals love marinating and seasoning. I I don't understand all of that, but I know this, is that when meat is marinated, (laughs) <laughs> it tastes way better than meat that wasn't marinated. There is some gusto and there is some flavor and there is something that just seems to, well, snap when you put it in your mouth. This, I think, is what James is saying here. Be slow to speak about God's word. When you listen to God's word, when you take God's word in, let it marinate. Let it season you. Don't use God's word as a club. Use God's word to be able to encourage and strengthen others, as we chatted about really last week. And then James says this, be slow to get angry. Now, if you put all these things together, uh, be quick to listen to God's word. Be slow to speak God's word. Make sure you understand what it is. But be slow to get angry about what God's word is teaching you. You know, I don't know how many of you open this book. And when you do, whether it's someone preaching or you're just reading, you just say, Lord, would you teach me today? Father, I I need your spirit to guide me, to direct me, to convict me. I know you're chipping away things, God, that don't bring you honor and glory in my life. So, Father, would you teach me today? It's hard sometimes to come under the authority of God's word. Because God knows what to convict us about. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes this to a young pastor. He says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us what to do 
is right. And God uses all this to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We talk often, is when you open up God's word, that he brings conviction to you and to me. And that each one of us are to quickly confess sin that God brings to light. But there's also changes in behavior. Now, I know this is Lent season, and traditionally some folks give up something during the Lent season. And some of that is helpful. It helps you refocus, helps you spend time differently, perhaps. And that's all good. But realistically, what you want to look at is that, is God convicting you to give up something, not just for Lent? I I mean, just got to ask. Well, uh, uh, let's not. All I'm saying is that when we open up God's word, Its purpose is to teach us truth, to be able to highlight some areas in our life that maybe we're blind to. And that if we would only respond and trust God, that he will fill us and fulfill us. You see, the truth is, many times people will open up God's word and the response will be apathy. Or Man, I hope my wife reads that verse. Whoa, does she need that one? And she may. She may. But the truth is, is the bristling or the disobedience doesn't produce holiness or right actions in our life. You see, God has given us this amazing letter so that we might respond and know how to live in the kingdom, in a world that is so corrupt and so, well, God dishonoring. And then he says in verse 22, that's verse 21. So in light of all this, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God planted in your hearts for it has the power to save you. If you mark Bibles again, I would underline or put an arrow towards uh, around that save. First thing he says, so in light of this, In light of receiving what God's word is, how important this is, get rid of the filth and the evil. Literally what I've said is confess your sin. How amazing is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, we own our sin, we recognize our rebellion before God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just what happens here? How cool is that, that we can recalibrate? And for me, sometimes it's many times during the day. Maybe it's something I thought or something that I said or an attitude. Father, this is wrong. This does not glorify you. You're bringing this to me. But he said, get rid of the filth and the evil confess your sin, and humbly, 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 humbly accept the word of God. This is amazing. Because realistically, every time we open up this love letter, 
The question really ought to say, God, or, or the statement we ought to say is, you know what, God, you are smarter than I am. You created me. You know what's best. You know my situation. You know my circumstance. You know who I'm living with. You know who I'm working with. God, I, I own that. You are in control. You are sovereign. Teach me what I need to know today. I'm going to receive humbly as you are Lord and God and creator. You know what's best for me. I'm going to receive it. And this will save you. In your bulletins, there is a yellow, is it a yellow? Yes, a yellow handout. All right? Goldenrod, whatever. It's this one right there. Okay? I am never going to be able to cover all of how amazing God's salvation is. But God's salvation is robust. And he wants to save us. Not just, well, from the penalty of sin, which is awesome. So that we don't have to go to hell. We don't have to spend eternity separated from God. But there are literally three aspects or three facets of God's rescue plan. The first facet, as you see up on the screen, is called justification. And what's helpful, at least in this handout, you'll see it described a little bit. You'll also, on the back side, have a little bit of a graph that might, again, help you understand a little bit of how rich and how robust and how gracious our God is. But Jesus did die, so we don't have to base sin's penalty, which is death. But Jesus also died so that we don't have to live under the power of sin. We don't have to be obedient to sin. We don't have to live under sin's death grip. You see, sin, and this is not news to you, is always fun for a season. That's what the enemy's, well, message is to you. But the truth is it brings terrible, horrific consequences. It brings death. I also have another handout, and I didn't stuff it in your bulletins, but it's one that I've used in the past, so many of you do have it. But we've got this blue handout, and it'll be out in the welcome um, booth if you want to pick one of those up or if you haven't received one of these. But it was an article that was written by one of my former pastors, Doc, or Mr., or Pastor Bill Johnson, in the Moraine Valley Church. And Pastor Bill had a unique way, I think, to be able to encourage people in the sanctification part. In the how do you live life without being, well, hungover and, and destroyed and, and dominated by the sin in your life. God wants you to experience victory. He wants every one of us to be able to understand that abundant life is available to us. And so here James writes, he goes, hey, he, here's what you do. Number one, confess your sin. Number two, receive all that's in God's word because it'll save you. 
It'll save you not only when you shut your eyes and eventually you meet Jesus and you get to recognize you're not spending eternity apart from him and you'll spend eternity with him in heaven. But even now, right now, in our everyday lives, that God gives you grace and power and authority so that you don't have to live under that curse. Wow. Then, verse 22. James, if he, if he was preaching right now, he would shout just a little bit. This is an imperative. This is something he goes, but don't just listen to God's word. Now, let, let me just share with you. It would be better translated here. And many of your translations are using listen here. Because listen is a little bit, and I've been using the, uh, the difference between hearing, which is just kind of a casual yeah, and listening, which is literally understanding what God says, and I'm going to obey. So I'm going to change that up. But don't just hear God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you hear the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. What James is saying is keep on striving to be doers of the word. Casual hearing, listening is like having parsley on your teeth. Looking in the mirror and say, oh, there's parsley on my teeth. And then walking away and just saying, that's cool. So that everybody says, uh, parsley on your teeth? I know it. It's okay. I, I kind of like the look. You know, that kind of a thing. No. We would look in the mirror. We would see the parsley. We would respond. Take it off. So what James is saying is, look carefully into God's perfect life-giving law. Some of us, again, and I'm not even trying to, to discourage anyone, but, but we'll say, hey, did you have your devos today? Oh, yeah, I, I have my devos. I, I read my verse. Now, reading one verse is awesome. But sometimes we look at God's word as a vitamin. And if I can just take one verse a day, I'll be okay. But James is kind of tossing this, well, on its head. Vitamins are not supposed to substitute for right eating. Vitamins are supposed to supplement right eating, okay? And so really, God says this. If you look carefully, if you study, if you spend time listening, in God's perfect life-giving law, I will bless you for your obedience. Now, another way to look at this is uh, some of you might not even remember your college classes. But I think you can do it in other places too, but you can do this at least in college. When you're in a college or a grad school class, there is accountability. You have to do certain things. You get certain grades. All right. And at the end of the semester, you see how well you did. You often have a chance to audit college or seminary or grad school courses. I loved auditing. It was awesome. Because you know what? 
You don't have to really read so much. You don't have to really do all the papers. You just kind of sit there and look like, you know, you, you need this subject or whatever. And, and we end up with just leaving. You know what? I have never, ever, ever learned as much being in an auditing class as I have been a student. It's just the bottom line. And sometimes I think we look at God's Word and we like to audit we like, oh, I'm just going to kind of take it casually, or hey, if it kind of helps me get through today, or hey, I'll do... I think, again, we're missing out. I think James is saying that. Let's jump to James chapter 2, starting at verse 14 through 26. My friend Melissa Helton is going to read for us. You can follow along with her if you would. James 2, 14 to 26. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions? when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. James starts off this paragraph and he says, Brothers and sisters, genuine faith shows, my dear family, that you know God. Basically, he has this argument. What good is faith or what good is religion that doesn't change how you live? A religion or a faith that doesn't change you from the inside out is not genuine faith. The question starts, have you been justified? Have you come to a faith or a spot in your life where you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Jesus has saved you? you. Yes, you're saved from the penalty of sin. But what James is saying, are you experiencing power over sin? Are you experiencing abundant life? Are you living differently than your neighbor, than the person across the hallway, the person who plays basketball with you? John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. And I'm, I'm saying this is because 
really all the apostles saw this. James was the one that emphasized it. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, John writes this, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give our lives up for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be competent when we stand before God. You see, faith that doesn't change our behavior or faith that doesn't help us live more like Jesus, James is saying that's really not faith. It, is, it isn't. In fact, he uses this argument. The demonic forces all believe in God. Do you know that? The enemy all acknowledge God as God. They all fear God. They tremble in his presence. And they literally even bow down to God. All, all of the demons do. So just knowing about God and Worship doesn't make you a believer. What James says is our deeds reveal we have real faith, genuine faith, that we have been rescued. And then he gives two illustrations. One, his name is Adam. And he said Adam's deeds made his faith complete. It wasn't that Adam worked and then he got saved, but Adam came to faith, trusted God, and his work showed that he trusted God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. That's an amazing story, and so many of you remember that story. But he trusted his God, listened to his God, and of course he didn't sacrifice because... God allowed that not to happen. And then the second illustration, so very different than Abraham, who was at least respected in the Jewish community. So what about Rahab? Rahab the prostitute. Her faith, it was so evident when she hid the spies. Also in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How cool is this, that James literally puts Abraham and Rahab in the same boat. They are polar opposites as far as social circles. But it was because of their faith, real faith, genuine faith, that Abraham was ready to raise up a knife and plunge it into his only son's chest. Because God said to. (laughs) It was Rahab who said, you know what, I'll hide the spies. I've already heard all the stuff you're doing. This is amazing. I want to be on your team. And that was something that could have cost her life. You know, sometimes you hear that Paul is... 
just uh, really heavy on grace, and James is really heavy on works. But actually, they're all saying the same thing. James is saying the same thing. John is saying the same thing. And in, for Paul, in Romans chapter 2, verse 13, this is what Paul writes. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law or God's principles that make us right in his sight. Paul also felt strongly that faith without works is dead. Now, I'm not here to try to upset the apple cart. But what I am saying is that so many of us perhaps are just existing. Nothing really needs to change. We are compromising well. We think the same as our neighbors. We look the same as our neighbors. But real faith changes us from the inside. And I think James landed here because of Christ's words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Almost every week we've gone back to the Sermon on the Mount because it was so influential, so influential in James' life. These words that Jesus is going to preach, I think, will really shake the apple tree. Why don't you turn with me if you would, or you can look up at the screen in Matthew chapter 7. It's going to be right at the very end of... of The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But listen. Listen to what Jesus is saying. At the very end, starting at verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And then verse 24, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house in solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat up against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Only the obedient will be part of the kingdom. People with genuine faith, people who have been changed on the inside and are opening up God's word and listening to God and obeying God. According to the Sermon on the Mount, there is going to be a judgment day. And on that day, there will be surprises. There will. Then Jesus closes with a powerful illustration. We usually tell this in in kids' land, you know, to little kids. Oh, you know, you build a house on a rock, you build a house on the sand. We could have had them sing that too. But 
what Jesus was saying ended up this amazing sermon. You know, folks, my word is so important. Just what James said. It's so important for you to hear it, to humbly accept it, to receive every part of it. This cannot be casual. You can't just have this around. You can't have 10 or 12 Bibles in your house and never open them. You can't. It's got to be a priority every single day, every moment. There's got to be times where you memorize it. There's got to be times where you're meditating. There's times after you read it, you just simply and ponder and you God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to change? I want to be in line with you, God. Because if you don't, you're building a house on sand. It's going to be a nice house. It'll be a beautiful house. It'll be a house that you work really hard on. But as soon as the storms come, that house is destroyed. But if you're a person who listens to God obeys God, allows him to change you from the inside out. How you forgive others, how you love others, how you grace others, what you do with your funds, how you spend your time, all these things. As we obey God, God says, I bless you. I will bless you. This should give us wings. You want to know what it is to be blessed by God? It's not being cancer-free. It's not being, and and you can fill it in. You know what being blessed by God is? Is that you open up His Word. It influences you. You are, every time you can, you get underneath its influence. Maybe you listen to podcasts on the way to work. Maybe there's different ways that you can be influenced. But every time God's Word is given out, You open it. You listen. You ask God. God, I need to receive this. God, I I am not smarter than you. God, I need to humbly do this. My question to you is this. Are you taking the class or are you an auditor? Real faith means you act differently than the unredeemed. And even now, as I was preparing, and even now as I'm, I'm looking at these scriptures, I'm saying, Lord, what is it that I'm missing that you want to do that I'm too busy, too arrogant, too whatever to respond to your amazing word? We're going to stand before God, all of us. We are. And my guess is even in this auditorium right now, some are going to say, Lord, Lord. (laughs) I did all this stuff. (laughs) I went to Crosspoint, man. (laughs) Crosspoint, you know that church. That was an awesome church. Yeah, 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 yeah. And my guess is there's going to be some that have been playing games. There's going to be some that maybe just been sitting in the chairs. And the Lord's not going to know you. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, 
These are hard words. These words go against my grain, Father. I like to be in control. I like to be in charge. I like, I like to know exactly how to live my life, how to spend my money, what my calendar looks. But I think even today we lost some sleep in some kind of selfish way. I, I, maybe this wasn't a priority for some folks. But I ask you, God, would you come mightily? Would, would you come powerfully? Would you remind us over and over and over again that people that follow you look different? People that follow you act different. There's grace. There's mercy. There's kindness. Even in the midst of accusations and harsh words and beatings. God, would you change us? Would you help our habits? Would we look at your word differently? And would we be a family that just changes every day to reflect you better so that we can be salt and light? We pray these things in your son's name.